Amen. All right. So Jonah chapter one, starting a, uh, starting a brand new book. I noticed right before service. I guess Pastor Boyle's preaching through Jonah right now too. So I haven't watched his yet, so I'm not stealing any of his material. All right. But uh, I usually try to avoid preaching through books that some of my friends are preaching through at the same time. But uh, that this one just slipped by me. But I really wanted to preach on Jonah, just because of the fact that. Uh, I think there's a very uh, there's some very important things that we need to understand about the book of Jonah in order to get everything that there is to get in this book. Now, I think everybody in here knows the story of Jonah and the whale. I mean, that's one of the more popular stories. If you went to Sunday school for any length of time at all, you heard this story. It was one of the first stories that you learned in the Bible, right, with Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You learn the story of Jonah and the whale, and pretty much everybody knows I know, they at least uh, are familiar with the story. They know the name of Jonah and the whale. But what most people don't know about the book of Jonah is that while what we have here is a literal story that actually happened. This is not just a fable uh, or something to teach us a lesson. It's not a parable. This is an actual story. This is about an actual event that literally happened. It literally took place. But there's often some false teachings that come from the book of Jonah, especially in chapter 2. The reason most people get messed up on Jonah chapter 2 especially is because what people don't realize about the book of Jonah is that it's actually a story about Jesus. This is actually telling us something about Jesus. Very specifically. Because one thing too, you'll notice whenever you're reading the Bible or in the Old Testament... Almost, not not everything, but almost everything that you read in the Old Testament, it has some kind of part in a storyline, doesn't it? As it's basically leading up to Jesus Christ. But most of that storyline is focused on Israel, isn't it? A lot of times when you read the the major prophets, those are mainly prophecies about Israel. Things that's going to happen to Israel. Now, sometimes in those prophecies, they'll have whole chapters that are dedicated to other cities about the judgment that was going to come on them, usually because of stuff that they had done to Israel. And it's the same thing too with the minor prophets. Many of the minor prophets are prophecies written to the northern kingdom. Some of them are written to the southern kingdom. But this story right here is actually completely unrelated with Israel. This is a story about Nineveh. And Nineveh is a city that's mentioned several times in the Bible. It's a very old, ancient city. But... This story does not play really into the storyline of the Old Testament anywhere at all. There's really no connection at all, but it's here for a very important purpose, and that's because it's telling us something about Jesus Christ. And it's, I think it's important that we understand this too, because what is something that you hear the dispensationalists say all the time too? You know, the Bible's a Jewish book written by Jewish authors to a Jewish people, you know. They always like to bring that up. Well, what about the book of Jonah? Can you please tell me what the book of Jonah has to do with the Jews? Because I I don't see anything about the Jews in there. Well, Jonah was a Jew. Yes, but his prophecy wasn't to the Jews. It was to Nineveh, a a completely different city. So I want to point out several things in chapter 1 that will hopefully be a help to you. But uh, next week... When we get into chapter two, that's this is where, that's when we'll really get into how this is about Jesus. And I, when you say how is it about Jesus, 
I think if you read it, it's pretty obvious how it's about Jesus and what it's specifically talking about. But that is something that often takes place in the Bible. The, you know, God would put stories in the Old Testament basically you know, prophesying Jesus Christ. So, I'll show some examples of that, of that in a little bit. But, uh, we'll look at Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, before we start getting into the story of Jonah. Said, remember what Jesus said. It says, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, when He was on the road to Emmaus, He's talking to these men. They, they've heard the rumor of the resurrection, but they didn't know whether it was true or not. They didn't know if this was something that happened. These two men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is talking to them along the way, but they didn't recognize Him. And He says, and He, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So Jesus went through the Old Testament to these men telling them about Himself. And you know what? You can find something about Jesus all throughout the Old Testament in every book of the Old Testament. And what do we find about Jesus in the book of Jonah? Alright, does anybody have a guess at what Jesus probably talked about when He got to Jonah and said, hey, do you guys know that Jonah was about me? Of course, He didn't say that at that time. They didn't know. But He said, you know, I guarantee you, when He's having this conversation with them, it's like, y'all are doubting this resurrection. Don't you remember that story in Jonah? How he was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights? Remember some of the things he said in chapter 2 where it kind of looks like Jonah died. People like to debate about whether Jonah died or was alive for the whole three days and three nights that he was in the whale's belly. Now, I believe Jonah was alive in the whale's belly. But the thing is, there's some verses in there that makes it look like he's dead. Why is that? I'll tell you why, because that was the prophet speaking about Jesus. That's why. I don't want to get too deep into chapter 2 just yet, but that's what's going on. So the thing is, all these stories that are in the Old Testament, it's not always about Israel. It's about Jesus. That's what it's really about. And the book of Jonah, you can't make the book of Jonah about Israel, but you can make it about Jesus Christ. And it is about Jesus Christ. And... Um, Acts 10.43 says, To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. The Old Testament taught a whosoever believeth. In Jesus, salvation. That's exactly what it taught. That means a faith without works. And you say, where's that at? Well, it happens to be many places, and guess where one of the places is? The book of Jonah. And we will see that as we get later into this book too. So the story of Jonah and the whale and Nineveh, it's a real story about something that actually happened, but it is ultimately a story that is for us about Jesus. And So who was Jonah? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 14, and verse 23, says, in the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned forty and one years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, 
according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath Hefer. So Jonah, he was a prophet that God used for Israel. He was somebody who had prophesied some things for Israel. And in these days of Jeroboam, these prophecies came to pass. Now, we don't get a whole lot of detail in that. When you look at these stories of Israel and all the things that were going on, I mean, this is really all we see about Jonah, just something that he prophesied that happened to come to pass. So he was a prophet of Israel. He was one that God used, one who had prophesied some things who had come to pass. So I believe this was probably something that happened after that. Jonah had experience you know, being a prophet of God. Jonah had seen from experience that the Word of God is something that comes to pass. And we see that when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah didn't want to do it. You know why? Because Jonah knew what would happen. We know Jonah knew these people were going to get saved. And for some reason, the Bible doesn't tell us, he didn't really want that to happen. But let's go ahead and start reading through this story of Jonah, this prophet of Israel that God that. God used, but this story here that we're going to see, completely unrelated to Israel. Prophecy about a totally different city. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So notice how Israel is not the only nation that God was dealing with back then. You know, and it's not the only nation that God is dealing with today. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So we see that God, de- God does deal with other countries. Okay? While the Bible it mainly focuses on Israel, not because Israel is so great, but because of the seed that was in Israel. And that seed eventually came and it was Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus Christ is the center of everything. And even in the Old Testament, it was all about Jesus Christ. God had to preserve Israel in the Old Testament. Why? Because it was prophesied that through them the Messiah would come. So the reason Israel was important was not because of Israel, but because of the Messiah. And the Messiah came, and you know, therefore they're not that important anymore. Okay, they've just got some judgment coming up. That's all. They're kind of. But anyway, God dealt with other countries. Now, there's probably many examples throughout history that we will never know about, the Bible doesn't tell us about, where God judged cities. We know about Sodom and Gomorrah because the Bible tells us about that. But do we think that's probably the only city that God ever destroyed? You know, we know in history about places like Pompeii that was a city that I believe God destroyed that place. A very wicked city. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that God did that. But I think it's safe to say He probably did. You know the lost city of Atlantis. I, I don't. You know I don't know. Maybe that was another place that God destroyed. The Bible doesn't tell us, but you know what? We do see that God does deal with nations, and here we see that God is paying attention to what's going on in Nineveh. God sees the wickedness, not that they're doing to Israel, the wickedness that's going on in that city. God sees that wickedness, and you know what? Before He judges them. He wants to give them a chance to repent. He wants to give them a chance to get right. And so he sends, he sends, he sends Jonah over to go kind of to preach to them to give them a chance. But you know what? I do, I believe God 
even today, is paying attention to what's going on in the world. And I believe God does. I mean, listen, God gives, you know, God gives us what we deserve. You know, and you know, if we haven't gotten something that we deserve yet, don't worry. He's going to. Alright? He's going to give us what you know what we deserve. We have asked for so much judgment. Said, I'm just praying that he saves it for when he pours his wrath out in this world. But might not. He might not. The United States of America has I mean, God could rain fire and brimstone down in this country tomorrow, and I don't think it would mess up any prophecies. And I don't think God would be a bad God if He did it. I think we definitely, uh, we definitely deserve it. And so, you know, Jonah, though in this story, he did not want to be used to help the people of Nineveh. We see that he ends up running off. It says in verse three, but Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Alright, so why... Now, it's real clear when you go to Jonah chapter 4 why he did not want to preach to these people. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry that God didn't destroy the city. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish for I knew that Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest Thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech Thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, when you read this right here, it's like, what created this hatred for the people of Nineveh? You know, then the Bible doesn't tell us. Okay? And probably because there was no good reason for him to have such a sorry attitude about God saving all of these people. And it's it's kind of weird how the book of Jonah ends. You know, it ends with God just basically explaining to Jonah, you know, why shouldn't I save it? There's all you know, thousands of people and all so much cattle, then boom. It's over. We don't know if Jonah got right, we don't know if he apologized, we don't know what happens. It just kind of has an abrupt ending. But, you know, I don't know, something created a real hatred. And you know what? I mean, I can't imagine any nation that's out there that I would rather see torched than saved. Now, there's some nations out there, if they're not going to get saved, I wouldn't mind seeing them get torched. But, you know what? I'd rather see them get saved. Okay? I mean, listen, I'm I'm as against the Muslims as anybody, but I would love to see a revival in a Muslim country. I would love to see that. You know, I mean, we all have our prejudices. We all have our countries that we don't particularly care for, you know, and just what, you know, we all have our prejudices, all right? But I can't think of any place in the world where I wouldn't like to see a great revival take place. I can't imagine being mad about it. I can't imagine turning down an opportunity to go preach in another country or another city because I was afraid if I go there, people might end up getting saved. I can't imagine that. You know, if you all are wanting to have a soul winning marathon, you know, we were talking about having a soul winning marathon in, uh, in Springfield. So like, I don't want to have one there. Somebody might get saved. <laughs> you know, I mean, can you imagine as a pastor if that was my attitude? I don't want to go, I don't want to, I don't want anybody in Springfield to get saved. 
I don't have that attitude. I don't know where this comes from with Jonah, but he sure did have a bad attitude and to the point that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. You know, you would think, as rare as it was, for God to speak to somebody during those days, because this was a very wicked time in Israel's history. This is around the time when the second Jeroboam is king, who was the most wicked king there had ever been at that point. You would think that Jonah would have been thrilled to be used by God. And oh, maybe that was the problem. Maybe Jonah was mad that God was having a revival in Nineveh instead of Israel. I don't know. It's just just a thought. But either way, you know, we ought to be glad. As much as I would like for our country to be revived, if God revives another country instead, I'm not going to be upset by that. I just might move to that country. You know, <laughs> that that might, that might be might need to do that before too long. It keeps getting any worse in this country. But in verse 4, so Jonah's running from the Lord. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. And I think this is interesting too because I can't imagine... How somebody could sleep, you know, in a ship during a storm. Okay? Now, can anybody think of anybody else in the Bible who did that? Alright. Now, Jesus did that, didn't he? Okay? So, is this a picture of Jesus Christ right here? Well, I don't really think so, just because of the fact that, you know, first off, Jesus was sleeping just because there was nothing to be worried about. But you know what? I think the reason Jonah's sleeping here, I think the reason we have this little detail in the story is Jonah, this is a clear example and a clear story of a backslider that's somebody that's running from God. And are not backsliders usually asleep to the things surrounding them? You know, isn't it interesting how when people often get away from God, storms come into their life, all these bad things start happening, and we're all looking at them and thinking, hey, wake up! Can't you see what's going on? Kind of like that prodigal son who had it good when he was with the father, yet he worked, you know, he's there working in that hog pen, and it wasn't until he'd been there for a while, all of a sudden he finally comes to himself. All of a sudden he finally wakes up and he's like, what am I doing here? How did I get in this position? That is exactly how backsliders are. They often are completely asleep to their surroundings. And they need to be woke up. You know, they need they and that's exactly what these men did. They it says in verse six, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Okay? So this guy, you know, he reminds me of people too that just trying to wake people up that are getting away from God. Waking up backsliders. That's what a pastor tries to do with his preaching. He tries to wake up the backslider. Hey, what are you thinking? You know, what, what is wrong with you? We had a guy that came to this church a long time ago. They had moved out here from another state. They were coming to the church. And his wife was working with the kids. And they, were, they had told me that uh, at their old church, his wife worked with the kids. And... They were missing church all the time, so the pastor told us she couldn't work with the kids anymore. And they got mad and they left the church. 
And then the pastor came and talked to them, and they repented and got right and went back and were faithful. So they came here. All of a sudden, she started working with the kids and then was never at church anymore. Was missing church all the time, just except, just only here when she's working with the kids. And so I went and told her, I said, um, listen, if you want to work with the kids, you need to be here at church all the time. And you know what? They got mad and they left. And so I remember thinking, I remember that story they told me about the last pastor. So I went to go see them. <laughs> I'll go do the same thing the other pastor did. You know, to try to wake them up a little bit. But it didn't work when I did it for some reason. And you know, they never came back. But you know, it was just like, hey, what is wrong with you? You kind of want to slap people in the head sometime. You know, are you not thinking here? You know, it's like, you know, how, how can you be so blind to what's going on around, around you? I remember one of my friends growing up, every day in school, when we had a prayer request, every day, he used to pray that his mom and dad would stop smoking. Pray my mom and dad stop smoking. Pray my mom and dad stop smoking. And you know what? His, eventually, his mom and dad stopped smoking. And he was so excited. And you know, and we lost contact. Years went by. But I was actually, we were actually working at the same place together. And I remember I walked by. They had, this, they had a smoking break room there. And I walked by there and I saw him smoking a cigarette. He like saw me like almost swallowed it, I think. You know? <laughs> when, he, when he saw me. And I remember later that I was talking to him, and, and you know, and he he mentioned he brought up, you know, yeah, you probably seen I smoke now. And I just said, yeah, I said, you know, and I, I just told him, I said, hey, I said, do you, you know, I'm not going to be beat you up for it or nothing. I said, but do you remember when we were in school and you used to pray every day for your mom and dad to stop smoking? Uh, and he's like, it's like, yeah. And I said, and he, I mean, he had a kid coming too. And I told him, I said. I hope your kid doesn't have to say that same prayer for you all the time. Alright? Now, what was I trying to do? I'm trying to wake them up. Okay? You try to wake up backsliders, but they're often just completely oblivious to what's going on. And it's the same thing too. You know, but, you know, a reprobate, for example, alright? Because, once again, you know, there's a difference between a backslider and a reprobate. But one thing about a reprobate that's interesting is... You know they have. You know they experience the judgment of God, yet they still don't see a problem. Remember the men of Sodom when they were trying to break in to get smote with blindness. But what are they doing? They're still trying to get at those men. They've been judged in a great way, yet they're still trying to rape these men. What they and they do the same thing today. They get AIDS. They get all these diseases, and yet they keep on doing their filthiness. And yet, and they can't see it. And that, right, that's one of the true marks of a reprobate when they can't see it. A backslider, they'll see it if somebody will wake them up. If somebody will shake them up a little bit, they, they, they will often see it and often repent if someone will encourage them. But it is, you, you do, you got, you've got to wake them up. And Jonah's just sleeping through this storm, just like any backslider. And so they do. They tell him, you know, pray, call on your God. Now, I, you know, these men here, when they're telling him to call on his God, I don't believe that they were believers. They're just looking for any help they can get. You know, they're just like, hey, if you've got a God, pray for him. And they knew he had a God. We'll see that here in a little bit. But verse 7 says, And they said, everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Now this is interesting because you know, you know, 
we are not as smart with things today, natural phenomenon, all right, just because of the fact we are dependent on technology, are we not? So, for example, you know, we're real good at predicting the weather these days, but why? It's because we have satellites and, you know, we've got all these. Yep. Here's why I'm good at predicting weather, all right, it's because i got a phone that just tells me what it's going to do. And I'm still not even that good at it. But, you know, back in the day when people lived outside and lived in the land, you know, they could, they could tell, you know, when a storm was brewing, especially those guys in the sea. You know, it was, they could just sense it, all right? They knew what was going on. But notice how when this storm's going on, they're like, they know it's because somebody among them has done wrong. It was like this, they knew this was an unnatural storm that's going on. That this was something of God. They knew the wrath of God is on them. They just didn't know why. And they cast lots, and it ends up falling upon Jonah. And so more than likely, God probably affected the outcome of this casting lots. All right? I don't think casting lots, you know, and I don't even know for sure exactly what it is, but that, you know, whether it's a roll of the dice or, you know, just drawing lots or whatever, I don't think that that is uh, an accurate way to figure out who the problem is. You know, if we're struggling in this church, all right, we're going to cast lots to find out who the Achan is, you know, <laughs> and then and then throw them, just throw them out of the church like they would Jonah. I, I don't believe that is a method that we ought to use based on Jonah. All right? This is just what these men did who were unbelievers. But um, <clears throat> verse 8 says, And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, I think that's interesting. You know, why is he telling these mariners, you know, on this ship, you know, what are you doing? I'm hiding from my God. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Okay? You know, the Bible doesn't always tell us everything that took place and what all happened, but. Jonah had told them he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, that probably, uh, you got to wonder what these guys were thinking when they heard that. You know, but I, I just think that's interesting. But remember, he told them he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And you know what? This is a reminder that some people would rather die than get right with God. Because you know what? I think Jonah, what he probably could have said to those people is, you know what? Turn the ship towards Nineveh. And then it'll stop. And you know what? I believe it would have stopped. I think if he'd, have, he, if he'd have told them, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he wanted me to go to Nineveh, I didn't want to go to Nineveh, take me to Nineveh, and the storm will stop, I, I think that would have happened. But you know what? Jonah, he would rather die than do what God told him to do in this situation. Once again, why he was so dead set against Nineveh getting saved, I'll, I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he, is, he, is, he, he would rather die then go and try to uh, then go preach to the people of Nineveh. 
So, verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it hath pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So even after Jonah tells them, hey, this is because of me, cast me into the sea and it will be done, the men didn't want to do it. You know, These were obviously decent men because of the fact that you know, they didn't want to kill an innocent person. They're like, you know, we can't just throw this guy overboard. But you know what? After they're fighting and fighting to try to survive this storm, they know they can't do it. We're like, we have no choice. And they kind of call out to God. And they do. They throw Jonah into the water. And when they do, all of a sudden, the sea is calm. And then notice what it says here. It says, they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, what do I think took place here? Now, I think they probably got saved is what, what I personally think. So how they have gotten saved? Well, how did they know to make a sacrifice to the Lord? You know, maybe at some point in their travels when Jonah was telling them about how he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, maybe he told them some things about God. You know, maybe he did some preaching to these men. I don't know for sure, but yet all of a sudden we see these men making sacrifices to the Lord. I personally think you know they believe God after this and they got saved and they offered up a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, another reason maybe Jonah preached, and I'm speculating right here. Another reason maybe Jonah preached to them too is because what do we often do when we're backsliding? We often try to do some other good thing to make us feel good about ourselves. You know, well, I'm not tithing anymore, but I'm going to give some money to the Red Cross. You know, that makes, you know, we, we do some, you know, we'll do some little thing just to make us feel good about ourselves. That's what backsliders often do. You know, they, you know, they quit soul winning. So what do they do? You know, they'll go work at the animal shelter, you know, and take care of the sick puppy dogs and stuff. You know, just, they, they do all these little feel good things. And so maybe Jonah, he's like, you know, Lord, I'm not that bad. I'm not going to Nineveh, but I'll preach to these guys. Maybe he had preached to them. They didn't believe him. I, I don't know. I'm only speculating here. But that just kind of makes sense because it kind of fits. It fits what a backslider does. They do all these little things to make them feel good about themselves. When they, people get out of church, they often get all caught up in some other stupid cause just to make them feel good about themselves. And one way you can always spot a backslider and somebody who's not right with God is when they do these little fake things to make themselves look spiritual. I just saw an example of this yesterday. I don't know who these people were, but it was on Facebook and there were these people on there that were talking about how Pastor Boyle did not honor Jesus in that news clip. And some of the guys called him out. Pastor, I think Pastor Major must have known him too. And then they said something along the lines of, you know, where does it talk about hating people in the Bible? Well, good night. Don't say something like that to Pastor Major. All right, you know, don't chant. And so Pastor Major, you know, it's all typed out, you know. But at the same time, I'm listening in my head. I'm hearing Pastor Major, do not I hate them, oh Lord, they hate. You know, I'm just picturing him just yelling, and he just 
pulverizes them with Scripture. Absolutely pulverizes them with Scripture. Where in the Bible does it say this? I'll show you where it says it. And he just leaves all these Scriptures. And then what do the people say? I'll be praying for you. And I feel sorry for you. You know, why do they always, you know why they do that? Because they got to make themselves feel spiritual. Because they got proven that they're a fraud, that they don't know their Bible, and they don't believe the Bible when it showed, it's, when it showed to them. So what do they have to do? I feel sorry for you. That's what pe- I've had preachers do that with me whenever I take them to school on end times. I mean, they'll go, show me in the Bible, and I'll, and I'll show them in the Bible. I mean, I will destroy them, and it always ends with, I'll be praying for you. You're going down a dangerous road. You know, they, 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 they throw all these stupid lines out there like that. You know, just know I, I still love you, and I'm still going to be praying for you. You sorry sap. You know, you don't love anybody but yourself. And you do, and you say these things to make you feel good about yourself, you know. And that's what these Baptist old IB are going to be saying about this conference. You know, we need really need to be praying for those guys. They're really hurting the cause of Christ. You know, they say you know you didn't glorify Jesus there. In other words, when he was talking to the news media, Pastor Boyle didn't make Jesus look hip and cool to the news media. They didn't make, he didn't make Jesus look good to a people who really hate Jesus. You know what? We're not meant, we're not here to try to make Jesus appealing. He's not gonna be appealing to the wicked. And we're not supposed to try to do that. You know, and unfortunately for, you know, those people are just like, you know, you're not doing, you're not doing what all the trendies are doing. That's why the trendies put on their skinny jeans and their pink shirts and prance around like a bunch of little twinkle toes homos. They do all that. Trying to make Jesus look all sweet and soft and effeminate to make him appealing to the world, thinking that's how they glorify God. That is not how you glorify God. And then they do. They get, they get caught up in all these stupid little causes. They're backslidden on God. Their churches are dying and falling apart because they're not going soul winning. So you know what they do instead? You know what they do? They go and they hand out water bottles at the 5K runs in the name of Jesus. You know, they go and they put on pink shirts and they go clean up a street. You know, they go, they do all, they do all these little things just to show how connected they are with their community, how involved they are with the community. They get caught up in all these stupid little side things instead of doing what God called them to do. You know why they do that? Because they're backsliders. They are backsliders just like Jonah. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with going and helping at the animal shelter and taking care of the little puppies. There's nothing wrong with you going to the soup kitchen and pouring the soup in the bum's bowl. There's nothing wrong with you doing those things like that, cleaning up the streets and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. It's not what God called you to do. It's not what you're supposed to be doing. And you know what? Maybe Jonah did witness to these guys on the boat. But you know what? He was supposed to witness to the people in Nineveh. That was what Jesus called him to do. And people who backslide on God or reject the will of God often just kind of pick their own other little side things so they can feel good about themselves. But you know what? God is still not pleased. God is not in that. And we see here that God God let these men throw Jonah overboard. And notice what it says in verse 17. 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay? Three days and three nights. Now, we all know what this now we all know what this means. We've read the New Testament. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty-eight. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit. I'll say a lot more about this next week, about what this is testifying of. Everything that's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. What it's mainly there for, it's not about Israel, it's about Jesus. And the book of Jonah, it's not just a great story that the Bible has given us. It's a great story. But ultimately, it's testifying of Jesus. So he's there for three days and three nights. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, Okay, the Jews require a sign. I'll give them a sign. Is that what, is that what Jesus said right here? Alright, now that's what the dispensationalists would have you think. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Okay? Folks, let me just, you know, chase a rabbit right here. The Jews aren't getting a sign. Okay? The only sign the Jews will ever get, they already got. And that was the sign of the prophet Jonas. That already happened. They're not getting another sign. Okay, the rapture is not the budding of the fig tree because the Jews require a sign. After that happens, and all of a sudden they're going to believe. No, that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said no sign. He said a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs. So you know what? If they want, they can say the Jews require a sign. But you know what? They need to follow up with it. Those wicked and adulterous people. That's what they should be saying. Those wicked and adulterous people, they're not going to get a sign. They already got their sign and they rejected it. But notice what he says, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. It was a whale, Gene Kim. It wasn't a megalodon. People like, and people bring that up. I, when I was a kid, I remember people bringing it up. It wasn't really a whale. The Bible says it was great fish. Okay. But Jesus said it was a whale. And you know what? A whale's a great fish. Yeah, but a whale's a mammal. It's not really a fish. You know what? I'm sorry they you know added the mammal classification you know hundreds of years later, but you know what? It was what it, it, you know. It was still a fish. All right, that's what they called it back then. All right, just because they didn't have the same scientific names for it and stuff back then, and they maybe distinguished things different back then. It was still a whale, and it was still a great fish. All right, so shut up. You know, you're an idiot. Okay? That's all, that's all there is to it. But it was a whale. was not an interdimensional creature that can transport people from earth to hell. Yeah. Okay? Now, I'm not even going to try to blame all Ruckmanites for that one. I think that's just Gene Kim. Alright? I don't even think Sam Gipp would teach that or Sluter. I could be wrong. Alright? I could be, I could be wrong on that. But... You know, these guys, they just want to do this clickbait stuff for whatever's popular, right? And they came out with a movie recently called Megalodon. So they probably figured, hey, this is going to help draw people to the Bible. You know, Megalodons are in the Bible. No, they're not. All right? 
It's a whale. Okay? It's not that, you know, it's not that complicated, right? These people, you know, there's enough cool stuff in the Bible, they don't, need, they don't need to try to make up other cool stuff, right? Just preach what's in the Bible. But anyway, he's in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Alright, so right there we see the main purpose of the story of Jonah. I believe it's te- it's testifying how Jesus would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I believe that I believe that's what it's talking about. Why? Because that was their sign. That was the sign for the Jews. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Y'all want a sign? Alright, you're one, you know, Jesus, when he was there. They're like, you know, they're like, you know, show us a sign. They weren't, they weren't willing to listen to his words. They weren't willing to listen to the preaching like they were supposed to. They're saying, show us a sign, and he said, no, you're not getting a sign except the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he didn't tell them all the details of it. But you know what? He died for three and three days after three nights later, he rose from the dead, didn't he? Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly and he ended up getting vomited out later, Jesus is going to be three days and three nights, not just in the tomb, but in the heart of the earth. Out of the belly of hell. That was where he was going to be for three days and three nights only to come out later. That was their sign. So they would see that. They would see what they should have seen is Jesus rise from the dead three days later. They should have remembered his words. Sign of Jonas. Well, what do we know about Jonas? Well, Jonas, he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And then he came out later. This is who Jonah was testifying of. You know, we always wondered why Jonah was in our holy books. It didn't seem to have anything to do with us. Like most of the other books. It's not all about the Jews, but yet it's it's in it's a part of our books. It's in. The, it's included in the prophets. Now we know why it's in there. It was actually for us. It was to point us to Jesus Christ. That's what they should have seen, but they didn't. They failed. And the reason they didn't see it is because, you know what? While the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, we preach Christ crucified. That's what in Jesus, He preached Himself and they didn't listen. And so you know what? The sign didn't do any good. And you know what? If the Jews today will not listen to us preach Christ, they will not get saved. Only faith in Christ, you get saved by hearing the preaching of the Word. So this book of Jonah is also a testimony against Israel showing them what repentance looks like. Because look what it says in verse 41 of Matthew 13. It says, "...the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas." And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So this is also a witness against Israel. That way, you know, these you know, Zionist retards that are out there talking about, well, you know, the Jews, they require a sign. You know, the Jews, it's, you know, it wasn't their, you know, John Hagee, it wasn't the Jews' fault. They didn't understand. Jesus didn't come to be their Messiah then. You know, it came for the Gentiles. You know, whenever they're making all these excuses up for the Jews, you know what? We've got the people of Nineveh to say, you know what? There was no excuse. When we, when Jonah preached to us, we repented. And you know what? They got somebody better 
than Jonah, they got Jesus Christ. And Jesus was way better than Jonah. And yet, they didn't listen to Him. The, you think the Jews would have said, if Jesus said, would you all listen to Jonah? Oh yeah, we'd listen to Jonah. He's one of the prophets. But you know what? They wouldn't listen to Jesus who was way better than Jonah. Jonah wasn't even a very good prophet. But yet, they did. They rejected Him. So Jonah is, it's an amazing book because it's an actual historical story but it is also a prophecy about Jesus that has been fulfilled. This is a pro- I, I believe that's what the book of Jonah is. And I think that gets real clear when we get into chapter 2, which we'll cover next week. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word and just the amazing truths that are in it. Lord, I pray You help us to uh, learn from the story of Jonah. Help us not to be a backslider. Lord, I pray You help us to uh, not sleep through... Uh, all the turmoil that's around us, but You will help us to uh, see the truth uh, of these things quickly so we can get right soon. In Your name we pray. Amen. So, all right.